Welcome to today's sermon from here in chapel. Uh, what cure for this sin-sick planet? Well, this is getting serious. Those who at first treated the coronavirus outbreak lightly are being forced to come to grips with the reality. As of Friday, Canada has over 4,000 confirmed cases of COVID-19 and 39 deaths. On a global scale, things are even more sobering. Over half a million cases and 26,000 deaths, with about a third of the world living under restrictions of some kind. Financial markets and businesses have been hard hit, with non-essential businesses closing and many people applying for emergency uh, employment insurance. You just can't ignore it anymore. It's been a stressful couple of weeks in homes and workplaces. People that can work from home do so, which means a difference in routine and working conditions. Kids were at first happy to have March break, although many holiday plans got squashed, but are having to adjust to being at home for a much longer period. You find we can start to get on each other's nerves when you're constantly together 24-7. Spring cleaning has never been so zealously carried out. As church staff, we've received much positive feedback on attempts to keep meeting virtually for worship in small groups. People get lonely and start missing the social contact. Phone calls and video chats become more precious because we've been isolated. In today's scripture passage from Romans 3, the Apostle Paul points out that our condition is dire, but not from any physical germ. Also, we are cut off severely, but not from other humans, from God. Yet, there is also hope, a way to reconnect through trusting in the one God sent to reconcile us. Following the unfolding COVID-19 crisis is enough to turn one into a news junkie. Numbers and statistics crowd our brain. It's still early to judge the true degree of risk to various age groups, but some percentages are available. What's the mortality rate, for instance? For COVID in China, out of about 45,000 confirmed cases, the fatality rate was 2.3%. But that ranged from 0.32%, age 20 to 49, to 1.3% for those in their 50s, 3.6% for those in their 60s, 88% in 70s, and 14.8% for those over 80. Yet there's another mortality rate that's not often talked about. 100% of people die eventually. Except... Enoch and Ezekiel, if you read your Old Testament. And then there's Lazarus, who could give a statistician a nightmare. The Apostle's emphasis in the first three chapters of Romans is that 100% of us are under sin. Gentiles sin apart from the Mosaic Law. Jews sin under the law. Verse 9b, we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. Then from verses 10 to 18 follow a string of 14 indictments, accusatory charges drawn from various places in the Old Testament. Terms like none or all are used some eight times to show the extent of human depravity and lostness. Quote, there is no one righteous, not even one. All have turned away. There is no one who does good, not even one. End quote. It's categorical. No one is righteous, Paul is saying. We've all blown it, all messed up, all fallen short. 
and in our conscience we know this is correct as it applies to us. Gentiles have contravened common law in their conscience. Jewish people have broken the Ten Commandments and dietary and ritual laws God gave them in their covenant. Verse 10. Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin, locked up, dominated, enslaved. Galatians 3.22 puts it, The whole world is a prisoner to sin. Romans 7.14, Paul confessed, I am sold as a slave to sin. Our sinful desires imprison us. There are chains we know in our choices that lead to negative consequences, but we find ourselves drawn in nonetheless. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, The best man, the noblest, the most learned, the most philanthropic, the greatest idealist, the greatest thinker, say what you like. There's never been a man who can stand up to the test of the law. Drop your plumb line and he is not true to it. Let's imagine two men trying to escape from an erupting volcano. As a fiery molten rock gushed out of its gaping crater, they flee in the only direction open to them. All goes well until they come to a stream of hot, smoking lava several meters across. Sizing up their situation, they realize that their only hope was to get over that wide barrier. One of the men is old, the other is healthy and young. With a running start, they each try to leap to safety. The first man, the older one, went only a few feet through the air before falling into the bubbling mass. Then the younger fellow has a go at it. With his greater strength and skill, he catapults himself much farther, but still misses the mark. Does it matter that he outdistanced his companion? No, he too perishes in the burning lava. Sin is falling short of a standard, the glory of God, Romans 3.23. Though some may fall short of the standard by far more than others, all still fall short, nevertheless. And it's not just that all people are under sin, it's extensive in quantity of people, but it's also extensive throughout each person. In verses 10 to 18, Paul lists a string of 14 indictments against our character, 10 to 12, our conversation, 13 14, and our conduct, 15 to 17, as John MacArthur puts it. Or another way of putting it, our, our motives, our mouth, our members, and our mind. First, our motives. If the greatest command involves loving God, we've blown it royally. Verse 10. We're not righteous. We don't have that goodness of essence that is fundamentally God's. Verse 11. We don't understand. We don't seek God. We choose other pursuits. Verse 12. We've all turned away, turned aside, headed in the wrong direction. The verb was used of soldiers deserting their unit. We have become worthless, useless, New Living Translation puts it, unprofitable. The Hebrew term in the original quote means to go bad, to become sour like milk. What's your reaction to a mouthful of milk that's gone off? You, you want to spit it out. Sin is just that repulsive to God. It's abominable to him. John Stott notes, the essence of sin is ungodliness. Like those in Psalm 54, 3, men without regard for God. We're like the wicked person in Psalm 10, 4. In his pride, the wicked does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. 
Our motives are off. We've let other idols enchant us and take over chief spot of adoration in our heart. And so we forget about God. Daddy got a chuckle at me the other day. I came downstairs quite concerned about location of our 12-year-old Australian silky dog named Diva, who requires, at her age, regular bathroom breaks outside. I really thought the dog had been outside with Patty. When we called for her, we realized she had been upstairs with me all along. I'd become so absorbed in my work, I'd completely forgotten about her. When our focus shifts to human charms, we forget all about God. Second, our mouth is infected. Verses 13 14. Their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are ever full of cursing and bitterness. Don't ever get in the practice of lying or telling half-truths. If you always tell the truth, you'll never become overwhelmed trying to remember what version of reality you told whom. A melon farmer's crop of melons was disappearing fast from his field. Thieves were continually stealing the melons under the cover of night's darkness. The farmer finally became desperate, and in an attempt to save his crop from the vandals, he decided to put up a sign. It had on it a skull and crossbones, and the words, One of these melons is poisoned. Only the farmer knew it was not true. Sure enough, it worked for a while. For two nights, not a melon was missing. But after the third night, the farmer noticed his sign had been altered. Someone had scratched out the word one and replaced it, so the sign now read, Two of these melons are poisoned. Scheming to save his whole crop through deception, he lost it all. Third, our members are infected. The motives of our hearts get worked out through our limbs. Verses 15, 16. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. Ruin can also mean to break in pieces. Misery can mean hardship, trouble, calamity. Isn't that what we're experiencing right now with a global pandemic? Fourth, our mind is infected. Verses 17, 18, In the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. In the current pandemic, it appears the Chinese authorities at first tried to suppress reports of a coronavirus outbreak, silencing doctors who knew the virus was spreading. Uh, eventually, political pressures prompted them to pretend everything was all right until uh, when quicker response could have saved many lives. They wanted to look good rather than promote what would help people have peace. To have no fear of God before their eyes is to lack awe for God's greatness and glory and to lack appropriate dread of the results of violating God's holy nature, as John MacArthur points out. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The early church learned to have appropriate fear of God through the incident with Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5, 1-11. You may recall this couple had conspired to hold back some money they were giving to the church, acting like it was the full amount, and were struck dead on the spot. So to sum up this section, we are thoroughly infected in our motives, our mouth, our members, and our mind. 
Not only do we not fear God, we are fundamentally anti-God, pro-self. John Stott writes, Sin is the revolt of the self against God, the dethronement of God with a view to the enthronement of oneself. Ultimately, sin is self-deification, the reckless determination to occupy the throne which belongs to God alone. End quote. A few months ago, Patty bought a Jersey heifer named Honey Boo Boo because she was born October 31st. This calf is now getting to be a good size and we're training it to be led with a halter to go out to pasture every day. Sometimes it's quite a struggle to get her to come, but she's learning. A couple of times this week, she strained so hard against the halter and leaned over to the point that she rolled right over on her side. What a picture of human willfulness, stubbornness, and pride. We buck and strain against God's leading. We have no fear of God. He longs for us to partner willingly with him instead. Psalm 32, 9 and 10 says, Do not be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. We are all under sin, Paul asserts. Verse 9. There is no one who does good, not even one. Verse 12. 100% of us are guilty of rejecting God, and in our conduct and constitution as individuals, we are also 100% contaminated with sin's fallout. We are locked up under sin, locked away from a holy God. With an upcoming real estate transaction, I had to get something to my lawyer's office and see for this past week. It was arranged beforehand by phone, and I would stand outside the building to sign the documents for him to witness. Then I'd place the signed documents and key in a supplied envelope in the mail drop box outside his office. Or talking back and forth on the phone through his office window, the lawyer commented he felt like he was in prison talking through the glass on a telephone. Strange thing coming from a lawyer, particularly when he's the one on the inside. Verse 19 talks about us sinners being locked up before our heavenly judge. It says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Those under the law, being Jews, who perhaps suppose they might be exempt from condemnation, because they had received the special divine revelation of the law and the prophets. But Paul is adamant that both Jew and Gentile have fallen short. In comparison to the law's perfect standard, its detailed requirements, every mouth is silenced. The whole world is accountable to God, New Living Translation, is guilty before God. The charge has been set forth. The evidence presented, any defense, is short-circuited because the evidence is so overwhelming. There's nothing more to be said. Just wait for the pronouncement of guilty and sentencing. You see the purpose of the law in bringing us to consciousness of our desperate straits. It shows us the starkness of our condition relative to the purity and goodness and holiness of God himself. Yet it's powerless to do anything concrete about saving us. Verse 20. Therefore no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. 
Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. In our SV, through the law comes knowledge of sin. Law is like a mirror. It shows us our face is dirty, but it can't do a thing to help us actually get cleaner. It helps us become conscious of sin, points it out in us, convicts us. Martin Luther wrote, The principal point of the law is to make men not better, but worse. That is to say, it showeth unto them their sin, that by the knowledge thereof they may be humbled, terrified, bruised, and broken, and by this means may be driven to seek grace, and so come to that blessed seed that is Christ. The law is useful in pointing us to what's right, but it's powerless to enforce compliance. This past week, a 53-year-old woman in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, was arrested twice in two days for violating the province's self-isolation orders. I would have thought once would have been enough to get the point. Just stay home. Before the law alone, our condition is grim. We are locked up, imprisoned, silenced and guilty, made accountable to God. What a pitiable state if that were the end of the matter. But good news starts to be sounded in verses 21-22. It says, But now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. A righteousness from God, verse 20, declared righteous in his sight. To share God's own holy and just character, his purity, his innocence, his perfection. To have nothing between us and him. To be at peace with him rather than his enemy. That would be to link up instead of being locked up. We'll talk more about this state of being connected and at peace with God in coming weeks and how it works itself out in our spiritual life, our individual and corporate behavior. But for now, note A, how it's part of God's plan from centuries before, and B, how it's made possible. A, it's part of God's plan, verse 21, to which the law and the prophets testify. The phrase, the law and the prophets, is shorthand for the Hebrew scriptures of the Jewish Old Testament. In other words, this wasn't God's plan B. It didn't take him by surprise. Jesus himself pointed back to Old Testament prophecies he was fulfilling. And B, it's made possible through trusting in Jesus Christ. Verse 22 says, This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. In New Living Translation, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Unquote. Just as we all, 100%, were convicted and guilty of sin, so now all, 100%, have the opportunity to put their faith in Christ, no matter what your background, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, old or young. Jesus has thrown the gate wide open for all who will receive him as Lord. What's your faith in? Times like these can be fearsome when a deadly pestilence is on the prowl. It takes something pretty dramatic to send entire countries into lockdown. Scripture reminds us to keep trusting in the Lord, even while we heed the government's direction to wash our hands off. 
Faith is an essential element of life, but the faith must be in God. Sir Donald Malcolm Campbell, the British car and boat racer and holder of several world speed records, lost his life while racing a fast boat on one of the lakes of Scotland. The boat exploded and rapidly sank. The only thing that ever surfaced was a toy stuffed animal, Campbell's good luck charm. It was powerless to help him in the final and fatal crisis of his life. Faith is only as good as its object is able. A small boy in England was asked by a scientific team to be lowered down the side of a cliff to recover some important specimens. Though the scientists offered to pay him greatly, the boy said no. Oh, they tried to persuade him further, and he finally consented, but only on one condition, that his father would be the one to hold the ropes by which he would be lowered. Who's holding your rope? Jesus is the one you can trust to not let you fall from his grip. Have faith that he can carry you now and into eternity. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the Old Testament law and the prophets who point out our need, how far we've fallen short from your righteousness. Thank you for Jesus coming and going to the cross so our sins could be forgiven and we could be made right with you. Or help us to link up with you today, to not succumb to fear or uh, to be uh, anxious, but to be able to trust and in you and to know the peace and hope that Jesus, the Holy Spirit, brings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless.